there are other leagues following the lead of the WNBA and the NBA players. And this is all coming down to them understanding the leverage and the influence and the power that they have over our society. So that would be my advice to black people and people who are oppressed is try to tap in to every possible layer of influence and power that you have to hold people accountable and force change. This podcast is created in partnership with Breakthrough. My name is Lauren Stockman Brown. I'm going to be your host today. Thanks for tuning in. So my name is Maxwell Pierce. Uh, My pronouns are he, him. I am 24 years old and I am a black man. In, um, In January of this year, I was on Good Day Alabama as a Harlem Globetrotter promoting an upcoming game. And towards the end of the segment, the news anchors started throwing fruit at me as what they claimed to be a joke. And although I caught the fruit and I smiled it off, I was so shocked and in such disbelief that I didn't even know how to begin to unpack what just happened. So two tangerines and a banana were thrown at me on live television, on a news station, on Fox 6 News in Birmingham, Alabama. And with the knowledge that I have of my cultures and my my races history, I understand the implications and what comes with throwing a banana at a black man. This is not the first time it's happened. Um, It's happened with Oda Benga, who I've mentioned in my public statement about this experience, where he was a black man held at the Bronx Zoo with the monkeys. Um, It's happened to Wayne Simmons in 2018, where they threw bananas at him intentionally to suggest that he was a monkey. It's happened in European soccer. Um, So there's been countless incidents where this has happened. And so I immediately left the studio after that. And then from January 6th until August 15th, I was trying to figure out how I could keep that experience suppressed, but take the lesson from it. And then I realized that once I saw Ahmaud Arbery and George Floyd and Breonna Taylor, it was impossible for me to continue to suppress that. And I realized that I was doing my people a disservice and my ancestors a disservice. You know, like my ancestors literally died for the betterment of the black community and black people. And so for me to experience something like this and then be quiet about it is counterproductive and it undermines all of the effort and the fight that we've put in to make progress. And it honestly reinforces all of the societal forms of oppression. 
This is a microaggression to say the least, but it also enables all of the viewers who saw it happen on live TV to go out and do the same thing. And so if this goes unchecked, then the people who saw it might very well think, oh, this is acceptable. It, I just saw it happen on live television and it's not acceptable. As you know by now, uh, tonight's playoff games were postponed uh, by a boycott beginning with the Milwaukee Bucks decision to walk out on their game five closeout chance against the Orlando Magic earlier today. Other teams followed suit and so we wound up with no games tonight from the bubble in Orlando. Instead, a players meeting that began about 8 Eastern time and lasted just shy of three hours is now apparently over, according to multiple reports. And it got contentious with uh, Shams Charania tweeting that the L.A. Lakers and L.A. Clippers voted to boycott the remainder of the season. No, uh, no news or no idea what that means exactly. The media's contribution to how black people are painted is arguably at an all-time high right now um, because we're in a day and age where we can literally see live updates within seconds of them being released at the touch of our fingertips because of our phones. So when you have thousands of rep representations of black people per day being fed into your mind, it's very easy for the media to control or change your perception of black people. And so when you think about the victimization of black people and how much we have to constantly endure in this particular environment in the United States, um, and then you think about what happens behind the scenes and how stories are misconstrued and, and edited to save face of the oppressor and how history has been uh, carefully selected and presented. There's no question as to how people tend to exaggerate or misinterpret the perspective of black victimhood. It's really shocking to see how the media takes control of the narrative of black victimhood and how susceptible our society is to believing those narratives, even though the black people are speaking up firsthand about their experiences and telling you exactly what they experienced, people are still choosing to select the version or the account of the media rather than the account of the person who had the experience. All you hear Donald Trump and all of them talking about fear. We're the ones getting killed. We're the ones getting shot. Uh, we're the ones that we're denied to live in certain communities. Um, we've been hung. We've been shot. And all you do is keep hearing about fear. It's... It's amazing why we keep loving this country and this country does not love us back. And it's just, it's really so sad. Like I should just be a coach. And it's so often 
reminded of my color. You know, it's just really sad. We gotta do better. Uh, but we gotta demand better. Like we got, you know, it's, it's funny. We protest and they send riot guards, right? Uh, they send people in riot outfits. They go to Michigan with guns and they're spitting on cops and nothing happens. I'm wondering how to emotionally handle someone legitimately hearing black people, hundreds, thousands, millions of black people saying, you don't value my life. You don't care about my life. You are killing us to the point where we are calling each other family because it's that personal and that historical how insulting the interaction is. Um, and I'm wondering if you have any advice to the people, to your fan base, to that young black man, to that young black woman, to that young black trans person. Um, what is your advice when you constantly see people ignore our plea for visibility? My advice would be to take a step back. And although, first of all, I, I do want to say it's not like we have been reacting impulsively the entire time. We have tried a million and one ways to get through. And we have yet to get through to a point where we are truly treated equally. Um, but I am seeing a great deal of people beginning to react impulsively because one, it is human nature when you've exhausted all of your options and you feel like there's nothing left. Uh, but what I would advise is for people to try your best to sustain your civility and your rationale and think about any other way that you can leverage your power and your influence. And I think that's something that we're seeing right now with a lot of these athletes. These athletes are taking a stand um, in large numbers like I've never seen before. We've had athletes in the past that have uh, taken stands where racism um, was more frequently overt, like Muhammad Ali. Um, but right now, especially within the last week, seeing NBA teams boycott their games and leverage the fact that they have such a power and influence on the masses of our society. And then when you think about um, how we're in the middle of a pandemic right now, and there's only so many things that people can focus on and how people have always looked to sports as that escape. So when these athletes understand that they have the power to take that away from our society and force us to focus on how we can create this change, it is extremely powerful. And I've never in my lifetime, I've never seen anything like this where the NBA teams have boycotted, we're talking about playoff games. They have boycotted these playoff games and it has influenced other leagues to do the same. The MLB, um, the MLS, um, like there are other leagues f 
following the lead of the WNBA and the NBA players. And this is all coming down to them understanding the leverage and the influence and the power that they have over our society. So that would be my advice to black people and people who are oppressed is try to tap in to every possible layer of influence and power that you have to hold people accountable and force change. Um, I think that the path we're on right now is significant because it feels different. And I'm only 24 years old, so I can only speak to so many things as it pertains to civil rights, but it genuinely feels different right now. Um, not only because I know I have a significant part in it, but I truly feel like everyone is starting to take part in self-educating and figuring out how in the world are we going to get to a better place in this society? Mm. Now, I really like what you said there because it's simple, right? It's simple in saying like, it feels different, but I feel that too. Like even just walking around the street and how people look at you, whether it's positively or negatively, like my blackness is on display, like your blackness is on display. And a huge part of that is because it's 2020 and people can't help but think about black people. Whether you agree with what's happening or not, whether you support it or not, you are forced to see us and you are forced to think, oh, why would the NBA and WNBA teams strike and, and withhold something that is in mainstream seen as extremely valuable? Um, so I, I love what you said there, how it feels different. So, and I also quickly, before I go to phase three, I was corrected as well, but Congresswoman AOC, she said to use strike instead of boycott. And it's actually really interesting. Yeah, it's really interesting because she's saying that the NBA and the WNBA and many other professional teams are withholding their um, ability to work, not their ability to spend money. So I think that distinction is important. Um, especially in conversations like this. So I just wanted to throw that out there for who's ever listening as well. You, you and I, uh, or not even the death, I'm sorry, the violence on Jacob Blake. Before you put out your um, video and, and your um, inspirational video explaining what happened with the banana and the newscast or news anchor, right? So I, I, knowing that, you know, you'd always like to hope that like, okay, this is going to be the last, this is going to be the last black life that they're going to try to take from us, right? Um, it wasn't. In hindsight, what does it feel like to release a video like that? Um, and what is this idea of forgiveness that you explained so articulately in your Instagram post and on um, when in those interviews with various news networks? So in hindsight, I would do this. I, I wish I spoke up sooner, for sure. 
Although ironically, I think this was the perfect time. Um, I guess what I mean by I wish I spoke up sooner, I mean, I wish I had the courage to speak up about other racial infractions and experiences that I've had in my past. Um, better late than never. And so I want to share those messages with as many people as I can. The impact that this has had, I've never been more proud of myself. Um, I've been receiving a great deal of hate um, from a bunch of people around the world, but I expected that. Um, but it doesn't outweigh the impact and the empowerment that was delivered to the people that get it and the people that understand why I decided to speak out about this and why I'm feeling the way that I do. Uh, because more, more often than not, these are the same people that have had the same experience in different ways. So um, I think for one, I was able to, um, I was able to speak to Lisa McNair. She is the sister of one of the church bombing victims in that Birmingham church bombing that I mentioned in my video. Uh, she reached out to, out to me on Instagram and we got to have a great conversation for about 30 minutes. And I was able to connect with her in a way that I never thought I, I would. And so just being able to speak to her and listen to what she had to say about experiencing the loss of her sister due to the KKK um, legitimately hating black people to the point where they wanted to kill us. Uh, has been one of my most cherished conversations all the way up to um, seeing some messages from local high schoolers in the same town that I live in uh, telling me that they appreciate my courage to speak up about it. And um, just knowing that this had the, the possibility of inspiring at least one more person than myself, uh, make, that makes me feel good about it. And I want to share that feeling with everyone. Um, if they had any doubts or they were on the fence about speaking up, because we, we have to speak up now. There, there is, oh, um, as tough, as tough as it is right now to find any ounce of forgiveness when this is repeatedly happening to our people and you've got thousands, if not millions of people in this country watching the same things that we are watching, but telling us to calm down or trying to justify every time that a black person is shot and or killed in the, um, in the face of racism it is so challenging to find any remorse or forgiveness. But I think that we cannot get through to these people without getting them to a point where they can let their guard down and not deny what is apparent in this society. Um, 
I think that for a lot of people, we're so fed up that we don't even want to go back and forth. We don't want to reckon with anyone. And rightfully so. We have all of the right in the world to not want to go back and forth with people who don't get it. Um, And to be honest, it's not our responsibility to fix this issue. It is the responsibility of the oppressor. And as ironic as that is, the oppressor and the people who are continuing to do this, so many of them are clueless and they refuse to understand our perspective. And so we have no choice but to try every way possible to shake them and wake them up to understand what it is we are feeling and experiencing and what we're demanding. So that's why I feel like forgiveness and reasoning is so powerful right now. I guess uh, it's funny, like that question was just as much for me as it was for, you know, whoever is listening, because it's so hard to to speak to someone who refuses to see you and who refuses to know you, who refuses to care about no matter what you plead, right? It's it's like the people who argue the other side of this. It's like, did you not hear of the KKK? Did you not hear of the 100 years of oppression that we face? Like, what is it that's, your, that's you know, not registering? What are you afraid of? Um, but I'm so interested too in what you said about we need to get, they will only listen when they feel like they can put their guard down. What did you mean by that? So what is apparent in this society is the denial of what is happening on a daily basis. And that denial primarily comes from people with privilege to not experience what happens every day. So what I mean by that is all of the microaggressions and the obvious benefits of being white in this society and all of the statistics that prove and point to obvious um, unequal treatment of white versus black people, there is a constant uniform denial across the board from white people who feel like or don't care enough to want to hear about those things. For one, it could be because their definition of racism is something that has to be intentional and conscious when in fact that is not the full extent of racism. So if in my case, for example, where I am trying to explain all of the racial undertones and implications of throwing a banana at a black man to white people, so many people have told me it can't be racist 
because they don't have a racist bone in their body and they didn't mean for it to be racist. And so it was so frustrating to me to try and explain that it didn't have to be conscious on their part for it to be racially offensive. And this is where people put their guard up. Because the moment that white people hear that was racist, they automatically think that that is an assault on their moral character. Like, oh my goodness, how could you think I would be such a terrible person to intentionally and consciously racially disrespect you? I would never do such a thing. And if these people had a better understanding of all of the different ways that racism happens and is delivered, then they would be able to change their behaviors and become more conscious and aware of how not to racially disrespect others. When you try to have a conversation with white people about the privilege that they have, they're so quick to deny and they're quick to deny because they have an inherent investment in the benefits that come from being white in this society. And it is apparent in our statistics. Um, you look at the history of redlining um, with housing, um, even till this very day, when people appraise houses, the amount for the same house, I was just reading an article the other day, the amount for the same house that is appraised in front of a white family versus a black family, there was like a 40% difference in the value of that house. So obviously right there, it already shows just one aspect or one benefit of being white in this society. It's one less thing that you have to worry about in your day-to-day -day life. And as clueless and as unaware as so many people are, there are people, there are white people who are fully aware of what is happening and choose to deny and ignore, which is just flat out insidious because you have so many people who you claim to be your friend or your loved one who are oppressed and are screaming to you that we are not being treated fairly. We are being killed. We, everything in the book is happening to us. And you're claiming to be a friend or an ally, but you refuse to open up and listen to what they have to tell you. So... That's, that's the denial that I'm referring to when I say, um, when, I, when I'm talking about how we have to get these people to let their guard down so that they're open to accepting and acknowledging what is happening. Mm. No, that was perfectly said. And to wind down as well, right? To take this idea of denial I'm going to take us back to episode five, where we interviewed Professor Elizabeth Storter Pryor, and we talked about the N-word in relation to black hair. 
and how this absence of knowledge or recognition around the N-word creates a level of silence that is similar and apparent when we talk about black hair. I wanna connect this to what's happening now, right? With denial, with privilege, with this conversation in sports activism. How do these topics intersect when we talk about the N-word, black hair, sports activism, what is the common thread that relates to this systemic oppression and most importantly, silence around these topics that deserve to be spoken about and understood? I think one of the common threads here is that they all boil down to the conversation about race. Um, the N-word instantly brings us to the history and the inception of that word and how it was originally used. Um, when you think about black hair, you think about or you're reminded of all of the different microaggressions that we experience on a daily basis that make us confused and uncomfortable and also remind us of that history. Um, and then right now where athletes are speaking up about uh, all of the racial injustice and how it is affecting us. We are oppressed. We are exploited. We are downtrodden. We are denied not only civil rights, but even human rights. So the only way we're going to get some of this oppression and exploitation away from us or aside from us is come together against the common enemy. Who taught you to hate the texture of your hair? Who taught you to hate the color of your skin to such extent that you bleach to get like the white man? Who taught you to hate the shape of your nose and the shape of your lips? Who taught you to hate yourself from the top of your head to the soles of your feet? Who taught you to hate your own kind? Who taught you to hate the race that you belong to? So much so that you don't want to be around each other. No, before you come asking Mr. Muhammad, does he teach hate? You should ask yourself, who taught you to hate being what God gave you? It all points to having the tough and sensitive conversation about race in this country. And this is an, a conversation that has been happening in pockets here and there, but in, in unity where we all can have the, this conversation at the same time with the same amount of focus, it has that has never been. And I think that right now, so many people are breaking their silence because they understand that silence has reinforced a lot of what is happening. And it has perpetuated a lot of what is happening. If we all decided to speak up at once and 
all of the white people were able to openly listen and accept, we would have been in a much better place right now. But we've we've never been in a time where the oppressor was willing to listen and acknowledge all of what they have done when the people who are oppressed are trying to tell them what they're experiencing. So um, I think that, you know, again, that, that common thread is the sensitivity of having that conversation in the depth that it requires. As soon as we start talking about race with, as soon as a black person starts talking about race with a white person, more often than not, it is cut short the moment that it becomes uncomfortable. And that is where the threshold of sensitivity lies. And we're not gonna make any change until we can move past that and talk about it to its complete extent. So uh, it's, it's just that, it's that sensitivity on both sides, in my opinion. So how I want to close this, because I really do appreciate you coming in and resharing with us and re, you know, diving into everything. Um, what keeps you going, Max? What keeps you, what wakes you up in the day? Right. Um, what keeps you smiling? What what is a reminder that your life has value? Um, my family, for one, is the biggest inspiration of mine and the biggest motivator. But I would also say every day when I wake up and I, I think about the position that I'm in and the resources and the opportunities that I have and that I've had and all the things that I've gotten to experience and accomplish. And it always brings me back to one thought, which is that we are our ancestors' wildest dreams. And that is not a stretch or an exaggeration in any form. The fact that as a black man, I have been able to travel the world while playing the game that I love and inspire just people around the world in general, um, I, that I'm able to use my voice whenever I want to speak to the world, um, when I'm able to go to school with other white people. And I just think about how how much my ancestors have had to go through to even imagine that that would be a possibility ever. And knowing that they literally died for this, that's what keeps me going because it leaves me at a point where I'm saying to myself, all of the progress that has been made and all that I was able to accomplish we are still not where we need to be. And as I was saying before, it is a disservice to our ancestors and our people in the present if we don't continue to push the envelope and, and act 
for progression. Hmm. I'm, I'm tearing up a bit uh, because, just because it's, it's, it is, I don't know. It, it is hard sometimes, you know, just to be like, I'm going to continue this, right? I'm going to, to make, this, make this worth it and make it count, so. You have been extremely generous with your ideas, your story, and your time. For my colorful Nana and for the world. So I am incredibly grateful, Max. So thank you so much. Thank you. 